Hey everybody, welcome, welcome. Thanks a lot for joining. My name is Matthew. Today we're going to put together all the hard work that we have done thus far, M0, M1, M2, M3. We're going to look at the entire public-facing money supply for the United States. So as I mentioned, we're going to have some fun in this video, if you like geeking out on monetary statistics. And we're going to take all of the hard work that we've done reconstructing uh, the M1 money supply after the Federal Reserve stopped publishing that in May 2020, as well as the M3 money supply, which the Federal Reserve stopped publishing in February 2006. We've reconstructed those. Uh, definitely see all the prior videos on these topics in this money supply series for more detail on that. But now we're able to, after doing all of that work, we're able to stack up all of these money supplies and see how much public facing money exists in the US. As you see here on our charting engine, we are starting again with M0. M0, a reminder, this is simply all physical cash and coin that is outside of bank vaults, i.e. in the general public in the United States. So in people's safes, under mattresses, uh, in cash registers, in grocery store tills, uh, in people's wallets and billfolds, so on and so forth. And indeed, there is a huge portion of United States dollars, particularly the $100 bill, that for decades has been circulating outside the United States. That's not as easily tracked, but uh, this is the total. This is the total amount right here. And from the early days, as I mentioned many times in these videos, when Paul Volcker and the early Fed economists in the 50s and the 60s started to develop these money supplies, uh, we started out with about $28 billion of cash and coin in society. And we went through a little bit of a peak to the global financial crisis, but not much. And then, especially with COVID, there was a big, big bump in, uh, in money printing. So where today we're about $2.2 trillion. That's the balance as of December 31st, 2022. $2.2 trillion. $2,207 billion. Expressing it in billions, hopefully, is, is helpful for you, uh, not just trillions, but it is a lot of money just even here, physical cash, uh, physical cash money. And that is M0. And if you remember, after M0 comes what? M1. Let's put on M1. And we had to do some work reconstructing this as well. As I mentioned, the Federal Reserve, unfortunately, uh, muddled their statistics in 2020, but I have reconstructed an M1 curve for you here. And again, this is not stacked as you see on the subtitle here. So I'm just showing you the total amount of M1. But as you know, these are cumulative figures. So what is M1? M1 is M0 plus site deposits. Another word for site deposits are demand deposits or checkable deposits. So most of the time when you have a bank account in the United States, what you're thinking about your checking account, that is a site deposit. These are not stacked. Now I'm just showing you the total M curve. So you see that M0 was 28 billion, M1 170 billion. 
M0 is included in M1. So if you want to find the value of the demand deposit there, you subtract, say, roughly at 140, 142 billion of demand deposits at the start of this series. And then you go all the way out here, huge COVID bump in stimulus checks from the Treasury, people putting cash in banks as well. There are no reserve ratios anymore for banks from 2020. This chart doesn't have anything to do with reserve ratios, but it's something to keep in mind. Uh, we are now, as of December 2022, we are at $9.5 trillion in M1 money. You subtract to find the value of demand deposits here. So demand deposits, about $7.3 trillion. This is M1. And then M2. And remember, we've gone through the individual components of these money supplies, but after M1 comes M2. Let's put it on now. Here we go. Again, this is not stacked, just total M2. We were uh, not quite double, maybe 50% more, 60% more here in January 1959, about $110 billion more of M2 than M1. Uh, huge bump as well in M2. Uh, but of course that bump comes from M1 and we have $21.3 trillion in M2 by December, 2022. And what is M2? Well, it is M1 plus less regulated retail monetary type instruments. So savings deposits and uh, retail type money market funds and small time deposits or retail type time deposits are included in M2. And for the moment, this is the last uh, full broad, as it's called, broad money supply that the Federal Reserve publishes. This is the last one. Uh, as I mentioned, from February 2006, they don't publish M3 anymore. So I think it's really unfortunate, uh, obviously, for economists, people that want to study this stuff, study how the money supply works. But so many people, they think that, well, if we can get an understanding of the money supply, let's just look at M2, that's liquidity. That is definitely not all the liquidity that's going on in the economy. It's not, it does not end here at M2. The Federal Reserve knew that. This is why they pioneered these different money supplies. The difference between retail and institutional type savings and monetary instruments. Um, but it's very unfortunate that they, they decided to stop publishing M3 because they decided to stop publishing it. I'll put this little tomato line in here, right here. This is, uh, this is when they stopped publishing M3. Now, what is M3? Again, it is M2 plus institutional type uh, monetary and savings instruments. And you can also say that these institutional type monetary and savings instruments are certainly less regulated than M2 and M1. That is true. It is true to point that out. They're not less liquid. They're not less liquid, or not necessarily less liquid, let's say, because there are components of M3, like large time deposits, i.e. institutional time deposits, that are less liquid than, say, a demand deposit in M1, for sure, for sure. There are components of M3 that are less liquid money, money that's sort of locked up. But there are institutional money market funds, repurchase agreements, which, again, those are basically government securities that trade like cash overnight most of the time. It's a quite liquid instrument, if you ask me. Um, and euro dollars. Euro dollars as well. That's another component. We talked about it in the last video. The Federal Reserve basically lost control of euro dollars as well. 
and they haven't published a euro dollar figure since February 2006 as well. Uh, so, you know, it's up to us <laughs> researchers in society to figure this stuff out, unfortunately, because the Federal Reserve claims, uh, the nation's money printer claims that they don't have the resources to do so. And beyond the fact that that's just ironic and hilarious, remember from a couple videos ago when I quoted William Barnett from the Center for Financial Stability, uh, former Fed economist, what he had to say about the, quote, cost of the Fed producing such research. And okay, if you don't wanna go back and see the video, he said the cost for them is trivial. Of course it's trivial. Uh, they have resources, they have connections to banks around the world, central banks around the world. If they really wanted to do the work, sit down and create these money supplies, I'm sure that they could. So this is our tomato line here, the red line. This was the broadest money supply that was published by the Federal Reserve up until February 2006. And then from this point, Economists just sort of gave up, threw up their hands, didn't want to do any work, and say, oh, well, it's M2 is now the most liquid money supply. It's not at all. It's not at all. We have to look at all of the institutional-type money that sloshes around the economy. And we've created that uh, going through all the videos, which we finished up in the last video with M3. A reconstructed M3 is here. So you see that my reconstructed curve taking in better repurchase agreement data, which thank goodness the Fed began publishing here in 2012. You see my timeline here. So you can actually make a backwards compatible M3 curve. Uh, large time deposit data is still published. Uh, institutional money market funds you can back into because they publish total money market funds and they publish retail money market funds. You can back into the institutional number. Uh, some of this is quarterly, some of this is monthly, but you can do it. You can basically do it. And so from here, you can even see that where when they stopped publishing in February 2006, they said the M3 money supply was $10.3 trillion or so. And as I am showing right here, it was at least $12.8 trillion because they weren't counting up all of the shadow banking repurchase agreements. Now, euro dollars as well are included in my supply, but it's a very low-end estimate. I know that. I know that. Please see the video on euro dollars if you want to learn more about that. Uh, I'm going to have to do much more work to show the growth of euro dollars. It's huge. I'm sure that this M3 money supply, which should show euro dollars, which are dollar-denominated deposits abroad, basically in banks and represented by companies and individuals that live outside of the United States, uh, where the Federal Reserve has no jurisdiction, there certainly still are dollars there, dollar-based accounts. And those exist, and the Federal Reserve is not counting those. And they've even undercounted those before 2006. So there's a lot of work to be done to count up those zero dollars. I'm going to make a run at it, but I'm nowhere near completing it. So I just have a rough continuation of euro dollars based on M3 growth in here. And I do have a little bit of stable coins as well. Uh, stable coins started somewhere around here in 2019, 2020, as far as really ramping up in value uh, to where there's about $150 billion in stable coin value right now. But $150 billion compared to M3 total 
31,665 billion, you can see that that's a pretty small component of M3. But stable coins absolutely should be included in M3. They're analogous to a euro dollar, a dollar type account trading like cash that exists outside of the jurisdiction of the Federal Reserve. So this is my reconstructed total M3 money supply. In the last videos, you remember, we just did the components of M3. So we were only looking at, you know, it was $10 trillion. If you see M3 minus M2, the components of M3 as I reconstructed, roughly $10 trillion, 31 trillion minus 21 trillion. Uh, but even much more existed in M3 than the Federal Reserve themselves published in 2006. And we can understand that by backing into newer and newer data as it gets compiled and published. And thank goodness that they did start publishing better repurchase agreement data around this time. So this is the liquid money supply for the United States dollar. And yes, it is even higher because the euro dollar is vastly understated here. I know that. I know it's going to be very difficult to count up. I know that. But this is the liquid money supply for the United States. It's not M2. It's definitely not just M2. You have to count M3. There are institutional money market funds, institutional time deposits, repurchase agreements, all in M3. Huge swaths of liquidity, huge amounts of cash that affect the markets. And when we start to do other comparisons to GDP, to government debt, to other nations, to uh, other nations' base money, so on and so forth, this is going to be an important figure to have. And again, it's ironic that the Federal Reserve, being a pioneer in these M curves, these M0, 1, 2, and 3 curves, they're the only nation in the world, as far as I know, that doesn't publish an M3 at the moment. So this is it. This is the supply and the demand for dollars uh, provided by the market. And following up to that point, yes, it is indeed the market. Unfortunately, banking is a highly regulated industry. Neither you nor I can start taking deposits anytime soon uh, without going through in a completely arduous, probing personal process of learning everything about us and having lots of cash lots of investors and just doing massive, massive amounts of reporting requirements and so on and so forth to actually get a banking charter. It'd be incredibly difficult for any one individual to do that. Nobody can lend money like a bank today without a banking charter. So it's an extremely regulated industry. Nonetheless, uh, let's take off the Federal Reserve's uh, tomato M3 curve. Let's just look at mine and let's take off M2 and M1. So this is now basically the broadest public-facing money supply with the most narrow public-facing money supply. What you see here, this difference, where let's go back to 1959, we had $293 billion in M3, $28 billion in M0, so 10x. And if you go all the way out to today, we have 31 0.6 trillion dollars in M3 and 2.1 trillion dollars in M0. Let's just quickly do that uh, math here. Uh, somewhat accurately, it's 14x, 14.3x, 14.4x. So cash is actually a larger uh, slice of the pie. 
interestingly, in, uh, in 2022 than it was in 1959. Nonetheless, what's my, my point of highlighting these two curves here? Even though banking and credit unions and all the rest taking deposits in the United States is a highly regulated industry, the market is more in control in the green shaded area and the state is fully in control in the black area. What's the black area? Again, that's cash and coin. That is actual Federal Reserve notes, the notes that are printed from the Federal Reserve and the coins that are minted by the Treasury, both together, uh, that are outside of banks, by the way, outside of bank vaults, right? just in the hands of the public, as I mentioned, under mattresses and billfolds, in cash registers, grocery store tills, so on and so forth. Uh, it's cash, anonymous money, also, by the way, that is circulating around in the economy. Uh, a very small proportion, actually, is government money versus private money. Yes, I know, banking is a highly regulated industry, but it's still a market. It's a hybrid market, no doubt. It's unfortunately very controlled by the government. But there are elements of free capitalism in this green shaded area, and there is no free capitalism in the black area. The black area is, is, is a money supply that is solely, solely controlled by the state, by the government. So this is the monetary system that we've had uh, for the last 60 some years. Uh, only during this period, let's zoom in, uh, right until the Nixon shock here in the end of Bretton Woods. Let's actually get the, the title. Uh, only during this period did we have a pseudo gold standard. Only during this period. And still we had the creation of money, uh, cash balances in the market during this period, even during a pseudo gold standard. And of course it ended here, Charles de Gaulle and uh, a few central banks around Europe started squeezing the United States saying we want our gold back. And Nixon said no, and we went off a gold standard for the first time ever that basically the world was off any connection to gold in 1971. So this is how it looks. This is the most broad, most liquid form of money that I have measured thus far. Yes, euro dollars are included as well. Uh, a low estimate in my, in my M3, and they're much higher in reality, especially probably from, from the 80s and the 90s. Uh, from the 80s and the 90s, I think you're, you're going to see it. Once I get better data, you're going to see a more rapid rise in M3 because of the euro dollar. Um, but it's the best we have. We've taken the Federal Reserve's uh, measurement as a proxy, extended it out, as I've already said. Still, this is the most liquid, hybrid, somewhat private money supply in the United States. Now, let's start comparing these things. Uh, we have M0 here versus M3. How does that look on a percentage basis? So we have this blue line now, this blue dotted line. This is on the right axis, the component percentage. Let's see how much state money as a percentage. I showed you the multiple. I, I talked about the multiple here just a minute ago. Let's look at a percentage, uh, how much state money compares to hybrid market money, M3, liquid money. About 10x or close to 10%. 9.7% here in, uh, in January, February 1959, 9.7%, then it actually fell 
you see fiduciary media. That's another name, by the way, for the light green shaded area. Fiduciary media, that's bank-created money and non-bank-created money, shadow bank-created money. Goes all the way down here to about 5% in the late 80s. We have the savings and loan crisis here, uh, the end of the Soviet Union, fall of the Berlin Wall. You see that non-state money, fiduciary media, uh, fell a little bit as a proportion. State money increased. It's actually more demand for cash here uh, and printing of cash in the mid-90s uh, to about 6%. Kind of falls again even before the global financial crisis uh, to where we get to the global financial crisis and it's back down to about 4.8%. So only 4.8% state money versus non-state money, fiduciary media. Uh, that the public can see, that the public can see and hold and work with, so on and so forth. 4.8% um, in October 2008. And then, as we go on out here to the COVID years until today, the percentage rises a little bit again, uh, mostly here to about 2018, where it gets about 7%, and then falls again with all of the stimulus checks after uh, COVID to where it's 6.9% today, 7%, actually 7%, uh, $2.2 trillion versus $31.6 trillion M3 money. Base money, state money, is about 7% of liquid uh, M3 money today. So 7% state money, 93% bank money, hybrid money, fiduciary media. Okay, so let's add M1 now. Let's take this percentage away and put back the M1 versus M3 percentage. Uh, so this black line now is M1 versus M3. So unlike the prior ratio that we just looked at, this one, you can see a little bit more of a trend, a little bit more interesting. And this includes demand deposits, basically in the uh, in the numerator of this uh, of this calculation so at the beginning of our data here 60 years ago m1 was 58 percent 60 percent of m3 and this fell basically regardless we're on a pseudo gold standard we ended the pseudo gold standard m1 is a proportion of m3 fiduciary media keeps falling keeps falling just like cash it rose a little bit in the 90s rose a little bit during the 90s and then fell again so where actually the nadir was right around the global financial crisis. You see that M3 is peaking just before the global financial crisis. Uh, interest rates are starting to rise at this moment after Alan Greenspan took them to historical lows after 9-11 and the dot-com bust. Uh, interest rates are starting to rise again. And you see uh, fiduciary media starts to pop a little bit. It starts to to fall down. And this ratio actually hits its nadir here uh, around March, April 2008 of only 10%. And then it starts to go back up. After the global financial crisis, it's rising, it's rising as a proportion of M3. Falls a little bit here before COVID, interestingly. You know, COVID only starts here and M3 is already shooting up. And that's primarily repurchase agreements as we've talked about. And that percentage would probably be even lower. It definitely would be lower once we get an accurate euro dollar count as well. But nonetheless, the trend is probably the same. Yes, it would dip back down here again. 
But then we have massive amounts of stimulus with COVID and you see that liquid uh, retail type deposits, specifically M1, start to rise again during COVID to where we're at 30% now, uh, M1 versus M3. Not as high, in fact, half basically the percentage that existed in the 60s, but many, many more demand deposits exist now, cash in banks, uh, three times as much actually than existed just before the eve of the financial crisis. Again, I've talked about this before, the narrative that fractional reserve banking or the sacred demand deposit caused the global financial crisis. You just really have a hard time arguing that, at least in the United States, which is one fourth of the world's economy, because M1 versus M3 here is only 10%. All right, if we put the M0 percentage back, uh, it's 4%. That means demand deposits were 5.5%, roughly, demand deposits versus total M3 money. Clearly, it's a very, very small proportion. And in fact, it was the smallest proportion that it ever has been. So fractional reserve banking is not, this is just more liquid, uh, more shadow banking, actually, that's taking place here on the eve of the financial crisis. And if you think that my solution is to regulate shadow banking, it's definitely not. That's not where I'm going. I'm only pointing out that fractional reserve banking or the uh, presence of liquid demand deposits are extremely low here on the eve of the financial crisis. And they decreased all the way, all the way from, uh, from 1960. So let's take this off again. Let's leave the curves on and let's now show uh, M2. And let's actually take that percentage off and put M2 versus M3 now. So the trend is the same as we saw with the M1 trend. Uh, look at M2 versus M3, 98.8% in 1960. Basically, M3 is very similar to M2 in 1960. Institutional money market flows very, very small. And then they start to grow. Large time deposits, institutional money, market funds, repos, all of these things are growing, growing, growing during this period. Where this ratio is falling as a proportion of total M3 money. And it falls drastically to where uh, you get to January 2008. Again, you get a low on the eve of the financial crisis. January, February, March 2008. 45% M2 versus M3, whereas it was 98% here. So again, it fell in half, basically, uh, even more. 45% uh, M2 versus M3, April 2008. And then we start to climb again. So as we move up here, closer to today, we have more retail-type deposits. Remember, M2 is basically retail-type money. We have more retail type deposits, more people holding cash. Yes, they started to dip down again just before COVID, but because of all the stimulus that happened and people just holding uh, stimulus checks and trading around all this liquid cash that they've received because of COVID uh, and saving, saving uh, cash balances, retail cash balances are increasing as a proportion of total M3 liquid money. That's where we're at 67%. Uh, today. So still a third lower than this 
ratio was in January 1959, only 67%. But on the eve of the financial crisis, M3 made up 55% of the liquid money public-facing monetary pie here. Uh, It now only makes up about a third. So I think this is an interesting trend. If, If you can see anything, you can definitely see a trend here where Uh, The age of globalization, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the rise of the fiat standard. You saw many different forms of liquid money from retail type money to institutional type money uh, expand, expand. I'll put even the M1 versus M3 trend back. You see they're basically the same as far as the trend goes. This is uh, institutional money growing as a proportion of the, of the pie, financial engineering, all of these things. To where we get to the global financial crisis, we're at an all-time low of these two metrics. And then they grow. They grow. This is a distinct change in trend uh, from the global financial crisis. And I think what you can take from that is people still are more risk-averse than they were pre-2008. Uh, Pre-2008, it was a different era. It was certainly a different monetary era, uh, which we'll talk a lot about when we start to talk about base money. And uh, people were taking more risks. Now, there's more cash in the system and more cash as a retail component of the total. Really, uh, going back to levels, let's see, remember 67% for M2 versus M3, you'd have to go back to... 1995 levels. 1995, we're at today's level, but trending down, trending the other way. More and more institutional cash sloshing through the system, more financial engineering sloshing through the system. Now it's it's the opposite trend. It's the opposite trend. People are holding cash balances, taking less risk, and the retail money supply is growing as a proportion of the total. Let's take off this percentage, leave this. And I think this is probably a good way to end the video. You can see the main trend here. And this is how the United States liquid money supply works. And the last point I guess to say is this is not all money in the United States. Yes, we have Euro dollars, that's an X factor. Of course, that means dollar denominated deposits outside of the United States. Um, we have some euro dollars here, but we're definitely not catching all. That's true. We'll work on that. But this is, of course, I'm going to say this as I made it, a very well reconstructed and I think accurate representation of retail flows versus institutional flows uh, of money and liquidity in the United States. And we'll be able to use this for many other comparisons as we go forward in future videos. Uh, But What I'm going to show you in the next video is the missing component to actually get the total economy money supply. As you see here in the subtitle, this is total public facing money. Are these M's, M0, M1, M2, M3? Yes, we have a proportion of state money here in black, but it's not all of the state money in black. And that's kind of the missing piece that we need to look at. And that's what we're gonna turn our attention to next in this money supply analysis, is we're gonna look at the rest of the state money that is issued by the central bank. State money, which is also known as base money or the monetary 
space. Hope you can tune in for that one. Thanks a lot for watching this. Take care.